Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Brand Your Practice podcast, where you get to learn about branding, marketing, and growing your private practice. I'm Brent Stutzman, and today we're going to talk about the seven steps to a seven-figure practice. And to help me do that today is Dr. Jamie Schreier. He is a physical therapist, a former private practice owner, author of author of the Practice Freedom Method, and the founder of Practice Freedom U, a company solely focused on helping physical therapists build highly profitable practices while living the life they deserve. After growing and then successfully selling his physical therapy business for a substantial multiple, Jamie began teaching practice owners his proven business building methodology to generate consistently more referrals, hiring amazing staff, and being able to work less while making more. He has helped hundreds of private practice owners successfully grow their businesses, achieving financial prosperity and freedom, despite today's unpredictable and ever-changing times. Welcome to the show, Dr. Shire. Thank you so much, Brent. Appreciate you having me here. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, Matt, as I was reading your intro, I was like, there's so many other questions that I'd love to have you back on, especially like selling your private practice. What does that even look like someday? But today, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's, a great, that's a great story. We, maybe we can weave it into to today. And it's not just physical <laughs> therapists. It's, it's really private practice owners. Uh, so we, we've, we've yeah, expanded yeah. it since that was written uh, many years ago. Well, no, it's true because if you like – I always say for, you know, you want to think about, even if you don't want to sell your private practice, you want to set your business up to the point where you could sell it someday. Like that is just put it, you know, make it an option at the end of either retirement or earlier than that. But if, but it also, there's so many things that go into running a private practice that if you can set it up to sell it, I think everybody can win at the end of the day for something like that. Absolutely. Um, I think Stephen Covey said it best in his uh, seven habits for highly successful people. One of the habits, I think it's like three or four, says always begin with the end in mind. And, you know, when you're building a business, rarely are you thinking, well, what is it going to be when it's all said and done? Like, what's my exit strategy? No one really thinks like that. But at some point, you should think about that because um, you need to know what you're trying to create. And what's great about this is that you know, what we're going to talk about today, the, the, seven, the, the seven steps to a seven-figure business, those same steps not only get you what you want now, get you that freedom of time and, and, and it helps you make more money and just kind of help, help more people but also create a better, uh, a better life and a better lifestyle for you and your family, but what it's also doing, it creates a more valuable practice. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'll be able to weave in some of these things about what people are looking for when they buy a business and how what you're learning today is not only going to help you this minute, but also uh, when you sell, because you have to sell. You can't take it with you, man. You, you can't take it with you. You, you got to give it to somebody. You can give it to your kids. You can give it to your staff. You can sell it to a company. You can't take it with you. That's, that's one thing I know for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can't take it with you. But there's a there's a, a mindset, right? So we're going to talk about those minds those mindsets about uh, uh, being able to scale and grow your private practice, those seven figures. So why don't you jump in to the to the first one? So uh, mindset. Let's just start thirty thousand foot view. Mindset is 
how you see things. It's your lens. You and I, before we jumped on here, talked about glasses. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 51 now, and, and a few years ago, I, all of a sudden, things were blurry, and I'm like, man, what, what the heck? They told me this would happen, but I didn't, didn't think it was true. And then I put on, you know, little low-level reader glasses, and I can see. So our mindset is how we see things, how we interpret things, our perspective, which has a lot of related influences over it. But how we see things, how we problem solve, is how we then make decisions. And how we make decisions then turns into the actions we take. Those actions produce results. So if there's a result that you have that you don't want, you have to go all the way up. And this is what I found over the years, I mean, 25 plus years um, doing this in, in, in my industry as a, as, a, as, a, as a therapist, then as a manager, then as a practice owner, now as a, as, as a coach and, and business person, um, it's so important of how we look at things and always upgrading and elevating our business acumen um, because sometimes there's a lot of old, uh, uh, as someone said, uh, who, who uh, does code, there's some old code that's in there that was good back then, but it's not relevant as a business owner, especially when you're a clinician because clinician and business owner, very different mindsets. So number one, and I'm going to give you the highlights of this because there's, 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 there's a few other steps in there, but I know we have a limited time, but I want to pull out like the biggest thing. The biggest thing in step number one is really understand, to Stephen Covey's point, um, beginning with the end in mind, what is your vision? What is your vision for your company? Um, you know, I ignored this for so many years. I'm like, yeah, vision, whatever, whatever. I need to generate patients. I need to generate patients now. I don't care about my vision. Well, it kind of bit me because what happens, your vision not only establishes a clarity and a direction of where you want to go, kind of like you go on vacation. First thing you say, your wife goes, where are we going, right? Because without where we're going, she doesn't know or am I packing the kids for, for sun and beach or for skiing? So it, it, without that vision, and, it, and I'm not big into the five-year, 10-year, because even I can't think that much with the world changing. Who knows? But start simple. One year from today, where would you like to be if anything was possible? And that's the hard part. we got to go back to our childhood when we're able to dream a little bit and think like just openly without all the, well, I can't do that. Well, I can't do that. So sitting down. And writing out, what would you like it to be? What was your schedule want to be? Maybe perhaps different programs, number of visits, additional therapists. Maybe you have a revenue goal in a year. Maybe you want additional location. It's whatever you want. What you don't have to do, Brett, you don't have to figure out how you're going to get there. That's the mindset shift. Okay? The amateurs will focus on the how do I do it. The professionals will focus strictly on defining what I want and then why is that important to me? That's step one. And that's a question I ask every person I talk to. Well, what is it that you want? Because that's up to you. I'm not predisposing this is what you should want. What do you want? Why is important? Step number one. Yeah, it's so important because, you know, a lot of... Um, I, we, what is it? You 
the business should work for you. You shouldn't be working for the business. And so we always, we talk about that big question, like what is it that you want and how can your business actually help you get there? Cause it should be, your business should be a mechanism in order to like, what is that vision of the good life? What do you want that for your life, for your life and your family? And then how can you actually utilize that business to get you to that point? And, and the hardest part too, Brent, that I've seen just being a physical therapist, I was one of these, you know, you have to be intelligent to get into school and get out. And failing is not something we've experienced a lot academically, because if you did, they wouldn't let you in. So we can be really tough on ourselves. And sometimes just sitting there and saying, what do you want? We have to give ourselves permission, permission to think what we really want without feeling guilty. Because there's this sense of guilt, like, I'm here to help people. That's why I got into this profession, whether it's physical therapy, OT, counseling, behavioral, whatever it is, you're here to help others. But you know what? You, you don't, you don't uh, strengthen the weak by weakening the strong. You, it's okay for you to want more things because by doing that, you're going to expand and get those things that you want. Might be materialistic things, might be just security and stability, whatever you want, but you're going to get those things by helping others. So that's the mindset shift. Think about what you really want and why it's important to you because that keeps you grounded and moving forward. And I totally get what you're saying about your business. I, I say your business is designed to give you a better life. You, your life isn't all about your business. And there are some people, and I'm sure you know them as well as I do, they may make some money, but they're working 24 hours a day. They're not happy what they're doing. They're not seeing their family. They're just grinding, grinding, grinding for this kind of never-ending, like, so what's the picture of this? What? Is this what it's just about? Just the idea of working? I think there's something more. I, I think there's more to our lives than that. So it starts with yeah. that vision and that why. Awesome. Can I go number two? Step. Let's do it. All right. So once you're clear on where you're going, why it's important to you, um, we, have to do, we have to get an idea, and I know this will be right up your alley. Who do you want to help? We can't help everybody. Right. That's the, the, you know, what's the what's the old I don't know if it's a Japanese saying or some Confucius saying, but it says uh, a person who tries to catch many rabbits will catch none. Right. <laughs> when you have too many things going on, too many people you're trying to help, you can't dial in your messaging. And I know that's a huge thing. You know, I followed you. I've read what you're doing and, you know, your story brand certified. That's what it's all about, dialing that messaging. Sounds simple, but it's not when your skill set, because I know I struggled with this and many other people I've talked to, your skill set, so, yeah, but, but I can help your shoulder. I can help your knee. I can help your back. I can help your balance. I can help your son's this. I get it. However, you have to be really clear on who is the audience that you most want to help. It doesn't mean you can't do other people eventually. But look, when, when Amazon started, what, did they, what were they doing? What was their focus? Books. books. That's it. Delivering books straight from you at a time when there was no such thing as that. You just go to Barnes & Noble and you purchase a book. The people that are, you know, the last, whatever, 15, 20 years, they think Amazon just came out of the gate selling 42 million different products. They sold one product. They just sold books. 
when they started dialing in their operations, they started dialing in, they started generating money, then they could sell this thing and then this thing. And now, of course, it just keeps expanding. But for most people on this ground level, either you're just starting your business or you've been in for several years, wherever you are, you really have to dial in that message, that target audience. Who do you want to help? What do you want to be known for in your community? So really getting thought around that, because once that's clear, then of course you dive in more and start understanding more about this person, this avatar. So creating that avatar, understanding, asking those questions around, who do you help? And if you're in an existing business, who's the person that walks in and you smile or your staff person smiles like, oh my God, this is the person I love. Start with that person. If you have a few of them, Meld them together and see what characteristics they have in common. It could be they appreciate what you do. They're timely. Um, they, they speak to your, uh, uh, they speak, they're raving fans. Um, they may have a, a certain socioeconomic uh, impact. They may be, you know, uh, athletic and active. They may be married. They may have dogs. They may have second houses. They may be, you know, older. I mean, the, the more clear you can get, it makes the other aspects of what you're going to do later on more important. So many times, people just skip step number two. So by the time they get down to the areas of marketing or building out the customer experience, who are you building out for? Everyone. That doesn't work. If you want, you know, Ruth Chris to serve people that really want McDonald's, you're going to have a problem. And if you're going to McDonald's expecting Ruth Chris, there's going to be a problem. These people have done these exercises so often and so dialed in that the experience is designed for their avatar, but it doesn't mean other people don't want to test that experience out. So that's step oh, that's number right, two, right. Yeah. dialing that that's in. That's so important. I know, understand your ideal client, right? I, I usually think about like who, when you wake up in the morning, what are the clients that you want to see that give you the most joy and you're excited to work with? Yeah. As I say, you you know, in the, in the people helping profession, like um, if you want to be in it for the long game, you can't be seeing clients who you're frustrated by or you're not equipped to see uh, you because you can get burned out, right? <laughs> you're really burned out. So the more you can identify yeah. who's that client that I just love doing, I do my best work with because if you do your best work with those clients that you love to do and they get the best care. At the end of the day, and so it's. Really I, I, I love, I love that. I love that. Who do you do your best work with, right? Because it doesn't bring out your best if you're not excited to work with them. If you're not expanding your knowledge, then then why then why are we doing this? Because you're not truly helping them if you're working with people that, like you say, zap your energy, right? You just they zap your energy, they zap your staff energy. It's like Pareto's principle. It's eighty twenty. You know, the people that are causing most of the rift in your business, whether it's financially, whether it's culturally struggling, you know, where people are putting their time in, calling people, trying to collect money, calling them, trying to get them on the schedule. I guarantee it's a small portion of people, but it takes up all the time versus focusing all of your energy on these people. But, it, but it, it, here's the thing, Brent, it's easier said than done because it scares us. It scares us because... For a short period of time, and I do believe it will be short, a short period of time, you're saying no. And no, I think it's the strongest word you can possibly say. 
no, Ms. Smith, I don't think we're the right fit for you. Go over here, right? If truly she's looking for a place that offers this and you're like, that's not where our focus is. So getting clear around that allows you to build the company um, to the people that you want to attract. And without doing that, you're right. Frustration, overwhelm, burnout. Who wants to do that? None of us opened up a business to want to do that. So that's number two. Who do you want to help? Great. Number, number three, Brent. So what I, what I found in my own experience, and I put this later on in the steps. It was still in the steps, but it was later on. Number three is about until you master this area, the other steps are going to be very, very difficult. And that's this idea of time mastery, right? Having the ability to control your schedule. Now, if you're working 40 hours a week treating patients plus another 15 to 20 just dealing with all the other headaches, it may seem you don't have any time, which is true. But the reality is all of us have the same amount of time. And what happens is, and uh, I, I heard this the other day that reinforced this. Uh, I heard a podcast. Uh, I, forgot, I forgot the woman's name, but it was really, I love the way she said it. We all, have a to- we all have time for things that are priority. In other words, if you tell me, hey, Jamie, I, I just don't have time to do this right now. I guarantee if one of your kids is sick, you'll be home. Guaranteed. Why? A moment ago, you said, I don't have time to do this thing. But then your wife called and said, your son is sick. I need you home. And you dropped everything, handled whatever you had to handle, and you were at home. What was the difference? The difference was your priority. And I think what happens is if we're not clear on what's a priority, what we're trying to accomplish and why it's important, which is where the vision comes in, then everything just becomes on an even playing field and we just get into the habit of being busy. I call it this badge of honor. Um, I live in the uh, uh, DC area, you know, Maryland, Virginia, DC, and I, I know it's in other places, but it's almost like when you ask people, hey, how you doing, you staying busy? Oh yeah, I'm busy. Well, well I'm really busy. Well, I'm, Brent, I'm super busy. It's like this badge of honor saying how busy you are. I, I didn't get into this world just to be busy. I want to be productive. I want to do something that inspires me. I want to do something that impacts and helps others. I want to do something that raises and elevates my, my family and my lifestyle. I just don't want to be busy because it leads to everything that you just talked about. So really understanding this idea of time mastery and looking at your schedule and a simple exercise I just want to just share people with is what what is one thing that's on your schedule? And I start really simple. One thing that's on your schedule right now, task-wise, that you do that does not inspire you, that does not give you energy, that you don't particularly like, but it's just something you do. Take that one thing and ask yourself, is it something I can live without and eliminate it? Is it something that I can delegate to someone else on my team? If so, do it. Or is it something that I can delegate and maybe get somebody else, like an outside person, to help me with that thing? If you just do it that one thing, and I did this with, it was kind of funny, answering the phones. I had a problem answering the phones. I even had someone in there, Brent, Claudia, who was answering my phones. I'm paying her to answer the phones full time. For some reason, I just jumped in and answered it. 
And I said, I don't like answering the phone. Then I get stuck on the phone, and then Claudia's looking at me. She's giving me dirty looks. But I, I just had a habit. It was an impulse of doing it. And I finally said, that was the one thing I'm going to stop doing. Claudia, you can do it. Claudia, your job is to answer the phone, so I'm not going to do it. She goes, thank you. Then I had to get clear on what I expected answering the phone, and I re and it released some of that time that I got back. Then the next big thing that I took off my schedule is I'm not very good at um, uh, payroll and bookkeeping. I mean, to me, if there was like a, you know, hey, we're close, it's within $1,000 or two. I was always off on, 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 on my accounts. I mean, it's a true story. I was off. Um, I went to my financial person. I said, I need someone to help me with bookkeeping. They're like, all right, well, just go Google bookkeepers, local bookkeepers. And I did. Interviewed a couple, hired one. Oh, my God. It, it, it was like a weight was lifted. And my numbers were freaking accurate. And she helped me organize it so much better. So this idea of just looking at what are, I call them low energy activities, things that just don't inspire you, you don't particularly like, or they're just kind of a mundane thing. That's as simple where you can start. But time mastery is what the next step is for sure. Yeah, time mastery, that's the, that's, gonna, that's the hardest thing for practice owners because their responsibilities as they grow are going to shift. And so their ability to manage their time with those changing responsibilities, you can't have direct client hours as much as you want, right? So that's, a, that's another mindset too. But that, that, I have seen that's probably one of the biggest mindset shifts in practice owners is your priorities have to change now. And it's just hard. So the, the sooner they can get into that mindset, that's going to set them up for years to come for success. Yeah. And also, we're talking about mindset and mind shifts and stuff like that. It's also understanding what the priority is. See, the hardest thing is everything seems important. So there's a great quote by Henry David Thoreau that says, you're busy, so too are the ants. The question is, what are you busy about? Ants are busy. So we're all busy, but when you step away and that's one of the things that we absolutely implore at Practice Freedom U is we don't have time to just think, to just be, to think about our business, not just keep doing and doing. Um, so understanding your time helps you block out time to think about your business to address some of these things. I know some people are going to be listening and think, I don't have time for this. See, that's the problem. It's not that you're not capable of doing it, capable of growing. It's you haven't chosen that your time, your time is the most important, and you need time to just think about these things and do it on a regular, consistent basis. Which brings me up to the next um, four steps. The four steps aren't as in order as the first three. The first three go in that order. The, the other four kind of depends on your situation, where you are in your business. Um, but I'll just say how I say them, uh, that I have them in our, in, in, in our uh, practice freedom method, um, is it's management. The next one is really management, understanding and getting clarity around um, your organizational board, you know, how your company is organized now and how your company will be organized in the future. But of course, if you're not clear on your future, how do you create an organizational board that's going to support that type of business? which is why your vision has to come. So you're starting to architect, I love that word architect, you're starting to architect your business model right now for your future. And then you can start 
looking at what has to be put in place or what has to be clarified or upgraded or whatever. So it's giving you the path and the plan of what to do. Then it's just a matter of what do you do first. So by having that organizational board, by getting clear on um, what are the roles and responsibilities of your team. Uh, one of the things that we do, we have this thing called Lighthouse Connections, which we work with our uh, managers, directors, and merging leaders of, 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 of companies, um, of practices. The first thing we ask is, what's the biggest challenge? What's the biggest frustration you have? And they're like, I'm not exactly sure what the boss wants from me. Like, it's not clear. Can you imagine having a bunch of staff people working for you that are not totally clear on what they're actually supposed to be doing? It might be clear in the, in the, in the practice owner's mind, but it's not communicated. It's not in writing. The job description, we do this great exercise where they, where, they, where they look at their job description, they take a yellow highlighter, and they highlight all the areas that aren't relevant. It's amazing how much highlight is on a job description. So just as something seemingly as simple as that, it revolves around this idea of clarity. See, um, the, the, the worst thing that's out there is confusion. And there's a great saying, I'm sure you know this saying from a marketing, confused people don't, right? Confused people don't buy. But I took that marketing saying and saying, confused staff people don't produce. Confused staff people are inefficient. Confused patients don't adhere to their plan of cares. So you can take that confusion and you can continue to go with it and saying, your job as an owner is to first and foremost provide clarity. So in that step four of management, you're providing clarity. The first person you have to provide clarity to is yourself. If you're not clear, then how are you supposed to communicate to your team members? And again, that's not as easy you know, said than done because sometimes we're like, well, it could be this or it could be that, but I feel uncomfortable if I say this because I'm worried about that. And we have all this junk and all this worry and fear in our own heads that come. But that's step four. You know, really diving into those aspects. And, of course, step four will also then move into hiring. But, of course, that depends on where you are in your business. But eventually, all of us need to hire people because we can't do this on our own. We shouldn't want to do it on our own. We should focus on the area that we are, are, are great in and we are powerful in. We, are, we have our superpower in and truly delegate the other aspects of things which means we have to learn two words, let go. So that's number four. Number five, uh, and again, these aren't in uh, an exact order, uh, but it's in our order. Number five is all about uh, metrics. Um, a lot of times I move some of the metrics right from the get-go. Before you start any project, um, you, know, you need to get clear on what are the metrics, what are you trying to accomplish, and how are you going to measure if you're getting there. Um, something as simple as that is not that simple. Um, if you don't have a dashboard, um, a simple financial dashboard that really shows you the key metrics in your business, key metrics at your front desk, your key metrics in these other aspects in physical therapy or occupational or whatever it is, because if you're not going to measure it, then you don't know if it's improving, and then it becomes a subjective guess. And subjective guess is the fastest way to be inefficient and lose a ton of money and be frustrated. So that's number five. Number six, oh, sorry, 
Sorry, can I ask you, what would you say for a practice owner would be the top three or four like metrics that they should be following? Like think they have like a dashboard, executive dashboard. Like what, what yeah. would you say needs to be on there? Well, I mean, I like to start at the beginning. So the first metric is the metric of someone coming to your practice. And I imagine it's a metric that you follow and you make sure your clients are following, which is referrals. So whatever work you're doing, ultimately it's the referral and the referral is the person that contacts your office. The referral is not someone who's paying you money yet because then the referral has to go through a conversion process, whether it's talking on the phone or going through uh, purchasing a product, whatever it is. Once they become a new patient, that's another metric. Now that they're a new patient, there's another metric of, well, do they show up for their visits? So there's cancellations and, and, and things like that. Uh, and then there's a bunch of others. The most important under, I split it between operations and financial metrics. The, the most important operation metric besides those front ends is utilization. Because utilization incorporates the capacity the, owner, uh, 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 the, the company has. It incorporates a number of therapists you might have. Utilization, it's the number one metric that I see that is completely underutilized. And people are literally losing tens of thousands of dollars a month not being efficient. And it doesn't mean that you don't have enough people coming in the door. I've seen people that have tons of referrals coming in. Their conversion rate stinks and they're not converting to new patients. Or that's good, conversion's good, new patients are good, but their cancellations are high. Or people are just dropping out mysteriously. Or the, the, the plan of care isn't being followed. They don't see value in what you're doing. So there's lots of factors that affect utilization. Some of them are very, very easy to fix. I mean, cancellation, you can fix that within a week or two. And you're talking about potentially thousands of dollars. But utilization would be operational metric, number one. The metric that I follow um, most closely on the financial metrics, you have your, you know, your revenue, you have your expenses, uh, your build charges, and your revenue per visit and things like that. The one that I really like to focus on that most people that we talk to initially don't, they end up being experts at it, is profit margin. Profit margin is key. Because if you're not clear on the profit of your practice, and profit is, is, is very straightforward, it's what's left over after the expenses of delivering care are paid. The only challenge that I've seen with, with, with uh, practice owners is that they confuse where they lie in the business. Because if you're a practice owner who is actually a clinician treating, you should treat yourself as a clinician and pay yourself as a clinician, right? Because this will give a better idea of what your true profit margin is. And if you start reducing your hours, you'll already budget where your um, new person is coming in. It's confusing. I can dive in more for people that want to know. But profit margin, again, um, the average out there that I hear is maybe 11 or 12. People that we work with are in their 20s. Yeah, 11 or 12 is not enough money. It's not worth it. You yeah. should just work for someone else. You'll make more money with less stress. Um, and that's all about efficiency uh, in the business. So that's, 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 those are the key metrics that I, that I look at right away or that we look at. Yeah. One, one more before I let you go on is I actually look at um, – I work with my bookkeeper with my clients, and we look at uh, profit p per clinician. Uh, 
So how much each clinician is bringing in for profit? It's just another metric. You don't make big decisions based on it. It's just another touch point to see, are your clinicians helping you cover the expenses of the business, what they're bringing in and everything else? So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that would be, yeah, that, that's a, we would look at it as one of the sub metrics for sure. Cause utilization, um, starts that conversation to your point. So utilization of the company, and then you can dive into utilization if you have multiple locations, and then of course utilization of each therapist, because it's not everybody. Chances are, if you have like three therapists, it's one person that's bringing down these numbers. Um, so again, it's always that Pareto principle, 80-20. It's not everyone that's causing the problems. So you wanna make sure you're communicating to where the problem's happening and fixing it, and not sending mixed messages to someone that's doing really well and saying, you know, our utilization stinks and that person's at 90% and your goal is 85. So then you can go down to, okay, if their utilization is this, what's their, what's their revenue per patient? What's the total revenue? What's the total profit? You can, you know, there's not a lack of metrics. <laughs> the, the, the hardest part is getting clear on what are the key metrics to look at initially from an owner's level. And then if there's a problem, troubleshooting and diving in deeper. Got it. Awesome. Well, jump to number six. Uh, number six is one of my favorites. Uh, we call it patient delight, but it's really about the uh, customer experience. Um, many people don't look at what we do as an experience, um, like you would do like a Disney or, or something like that, or even go into a kind of a fancy restaurant. But the experience that you have in your company is designed, um, whether intentionally designed or not. What, 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 what we like to do is, is we want you to intentionally design that experience. And again, you can't design an experience until you're clear on who you're designing the experience for, which is why on the second step, the avatar is so important. So all of this links. Once you're clear on the avatar, then you're able to design that experience from the first time they contact you. I mean, it could be website, but we'll just say it starts with the phone call into the office and then how you communicate with them, the initial evaluation, the follow-up from that, the subsequent visits from that, the discharge from that, the follow-up sequence post-discharge, all of that is considered the patient experience. Some people will refer to it as the customer journey. Um, you, know, you might refer to it as, as the, you know, the, the story of, of how you do your business. But it's all, you know, it all goes back to intentionally creating experience because what we're trying to accomplish in this step is we want a couple things. One, we want people to have an amazing experience that equals the metric of a five-star Google review. People look at reviews. The other thing we want is to design to get raving fans. Raving fans are people that speak from the mountaintops and shout how great you are. So if you're able to create that, your marketing budget is going to be really low if you want because you have word-of-mouth marketing. That's what word-of-mouth marketing is to me. It's not we do mostly by word-of-mouth and you do zero marketing. It's just something that kind of happens or kind of doesn't. This is intentionally being built. And if you have an existing practice, you're using the people that are already coming in and doubling down on their experience because of if someone – comes in with a back pain, trust me, they know lots of other people that have problems as well. So um, that's step number six. 
Patient delight. Awesome. Patient delight. Yeah, so important. Well, before we go on, I want to remind our listener about a free resource you can take advantage of today. And Jamie, you can too. Look, most mental health professionals open a private practice to help more people and to make more money. The problem is they lack a clear marketing strategy. And that's why I created the Private Practice Marketing Roadmap. It's a free video training series that will walk you through my three pillars of private practice marketing. If you need fresh ideas about marketing yourself as a clinician or private practice, or you just need a marketing strategy, go to brandyourpractice.com slash roadmap. It's completely free and it will help you generate a pipeline of new clients. Look, you won't grow unless you have a plan. So go to brandyourpractice.com slash roadmap and sign up for the free course. Again, that's just brandyourpractice.com slash roadmap and get started today. Man, Jamie, this this conversation's been <laughs> really helpful. And I'm thinking, uh, I need to, uh, you know, my producer Dustin's here and he's probably like, yeah, I'm kind of confused on my uh, <laughs> on my roles. I got to go back and double check some things. But um, so super helpful and all these uh, steps. So why don't you lead us out on step number seven? Well, step number seven um, is the step that probably been, everyone's been waiting for. Um, and I didn't design, I didn't design these steps. These, these steps came about during my experience and going through this myself. It took me nine years after being this overwhelmed operator and all that. Uh, I just finally made the decision after some personal stuff that's going on. Um, I just finally made the decision, like, I just want to grow and build a real business, not being trade in time for money, but actually have a business that has metrics, that has systems, that has a great team in place. That's not relying on me for everything. Um, and what was interesting is the last step that came about was marketing. Uh, in particular, our focus is on relationship marketing because we are all in professions of specialists. And specialists are referred to. And most of us are in, we don't have clinics across the country. We have clinics in, in local communities. And you have a powerful presence in that community. And there are influencers out there. There are people that have influence over other people. And by getting that network of people, you start to A, generate referrals, but B, other opportunities comes from that. And you start to be known. You, you create that brand and that presence, uh, which is also critical that I know you, you talk a lot about. Um, it isn't about bringing in lunch to doctors. It isn't about dropping off jelly beans. It's much more than that. Um, it's, it's how you, if you have a practice right now, it's how you built it from the beginning, just with genuine relationships, seeing how you can serve and help people. In this case, it's how you can serve and help those influencers that have influence over who? Your target audience, which again, you have to know who that audience is to know who you're trying to connect with. So that's what number seven is all about. And then, of course, it can go deeper than that. You know, it can go to the work that you're doing on Facebook. But the rules of relationship are not suspended in the digital world. The rules still apply. Even in digital with what you're doing and on Facebook and, and, and Google, it's still about relationship. It's about building rapport and building trust and, and bringing them through. Now, the strategy and the tactics and all that, that changes, of course, because it's, it's digital. But I think a lot of times what I see is people fail to realize and simplify what this is about. 
This is a relationship business, and that's what we're here to do. And the fastest and the easiest and the cheapest way is to leverage the relationships you have in your community. And of course, you can't do that if you're working in your business stressed out seven days a week, which is why you got to block out some time to do this. But what I found, and you tell me in your experience, what I found is that when people have a network and you start to apply a lot of the digital marketing and a lot of the maybe paid traffic, it explodes versus you don't have a network and you're just trying to build solely on digital marketing efforts for brick and mortar stores. Yeah, yeah. That's true. If you can get the word of mouth and the digital marketing together, because at the end of the day, they're going to hear about you and then they're going to go to a website, right? They're going to go on your website. So it's like you have the word of mouth, you have, and then you show up on Google when people need your services. It's just, it's, it's explosive growth. And I've seen it and I've seen it. It's yeah. All, yeah. It's, 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 it's so, it's so powerful. So those are the seven steps. Each step can also be deepened and, and depend. Um, I, I heard something recently is uh, someone said, uh, well, you know what they say, new level, new devil. And I was like, that's a pretty cool thing because every business is at a unique level. And whether you're a solopreneur just starting or been in there for a year or whether you've been a seasoned veteran and have three, four locations, whatever the case is, your challenges are based on the level you're at. So, you know, when you get to a new level, you're going to have new challenges. That's, that's what it's designed to do. But it doesn't mean the challenges are going to be exactly the same. There's going to be a slight variance. So some things that work early on will not work in the future. So this is all an evolving process. It's all a journey. And I think we need to look at it like that. It's not about failing. It's just about what do you want moving forward, making some mistakes, learning from it, and just continuing to do what you love to do and help people and help the profession and the industry that you're in. Yeah, that's well said. So let's see if I can wrote some of these down these steps so our listeners will remember. So the first one is, you know, you got to have that vision for the company. What is the good life you want? Think about the end first. Step two is you want to identify your ideal client avatar. Who is that person you want to reach and you want to work with? Step three is going to be time mastery. Step four is management. Uh, be the architect of your business. Uh, yep. the, the step five is going to be metrics. You, you got to be able to measure. If you can't measure, you'll never grow. Why is that pop up in order to fix those problems? Step six is customer experience. You gotta, you gotta delight your, your patients. My wife used to manage Starbucks surprise and delight was their thing. And then step number seven is marketing, but specifically relationship marketing, finding those people to build relationships that sit in front of your ideal client that have access to them. So I think I, I got them. It was really good. Uh, you, you, you got them right spot on. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. How can people more about you, maybe to dive more into these seven steps? Yeah. So if, if there's people that really have a bigger vision or maybe need some help with creating that bigger vision, but they're like, I want more. I'm tired of being frustrated. I'm tired of being overwhelmed. There's more for me out there. Then you could just simply reach out and schedule a discovery call at practicefreedomu.com slash discovery call. Um, so I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll post it. Um, and then again, this isn't a high pressure sales call, nothing like that. I don't operate like that. 
We're just looking, I'm on a mission, I'm looking to help people build and grow a business that means something, means something to the people working for them, means something to the community, means something to them and their family. But you know what? We weren't taught this in school. Um, we don't magically know it just because we're smart and talented in a particular field. That's what we're here to do. So if you have that interest, feel free to reach out. Uh, if you want to look about us and research me, you can go to practicefreedomnew.com. Lots of stuff there, resources and other stuff. So you can do that as well. Great. I'll throw a bunch of those in the show notes and along with those seven steps. And uh, thank you so much for joining me. All right, folks. The conversation useful. Subscribe to the podcast and please join me again for the next time for the Brand Your Practice podcast.